Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. Welcome to another episode of Skip IntelliCast, a podcast about strategy, intelligence, and leadership. I'm Cam Mackey with Skip, and today we'll be talking with Keith Begies, CEO and founder of Luminous Strategy. Keith has deep and awesome experience as an executive in marketing, strategy, and sales at household brands like Semex, Honeywell, ADP, Plygem, thumbs up on awesome windows in my new house, thanks to Plygem, and R.R. Donnelly. He's also a professor, speaker, and an author, and I can't recommend his book enough, Winning with Customers, a Playbook for B2B. Keith, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Hey, Cam. Thank you. It is good to be with you, my friend. Fantastic. Now, you know, Keith, for, for those of you, those in our audience who maybe you haven't run across you or some of the awesome work that you've done before, um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and also love to hear a little bit more about how'd you get the bug to start your own business? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Cam, I am a self-proclaimed creative analytic, right? And so um, lots of stuff goes on. Competing thoughts go on in my head all the time. It's just not a pretty place sometimes, but <laughs> the, the creative and the analytic. And that comes from really, I think, an interesting uh, background. So I began um, studying as an electrical engineer, uh, and then transitioned from electrical engineering from an academic perspective immediately into sales and marketing after undergraduate school. Mm. Um, and so I spent the first phase of my career uh, in corporate sales and technology with IBM and HP. Uh, and then after graduate school, I transitioned really to focus on a strategy and marketing kind of journey and uh, worked as a marketing leader and strategy leader um, sales leader in a number of different organizations across a number of industries. Uh, what they all had in common was some type of technology from automotive uh, engine, you know, performance technology to information technology uh, to uh, building materials, technology, cementitious materials, uh, et cetera. And so that marketing and strategy uh, interest uh, led me to work with some incredible companies, as you mentioned. Uh, and then ultimately, um, I decided to take all of that experience. Uh, I captured it in the book that you referenced, Winning with Customers, a playbook for B2B, and really focused on the thing that I am probably most passionate about, and that is helping organizations to develop winning value propositions. Again, blending the creative and the analytic with a unique approach um, and I began as a consultant, you know, helping organizations around the world um, do this great work. So that's a bit about me. Well, that's great. It, and I will say, Keith, for, for uh, an electric engineer, you have way too many social skills. So that's, uh, <laughs> I, I love that uh, that's where you started. It's, uh, it, it's, it's clear that that's been a great background, uh, being a creative analytic, as you said. Yeah, well, I'm uh, always uh, in reform and reforming. So, um, yeah, and, and I'm working on it. So thank you for the compliment. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. So, 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 Keith, I want to pick up on, on something you mentioned a moment ago, and that's value proposition. Now, this is one of those phrases that gets used a lot, right? And, and as much as, you know, as a, as a fellow marketer, I love that, right? That you know, really does come down to the value proposition it's a term that probably gets used and a little bit misused. And so you know, one of the things that, that I know you're really jazzed about sharing with us today is this concept of the differential value proposition. So maybe can you give us some thoughts on what a value proposition is and then maybe how that differential value prop concept plays into it? Uh, sure, yeah, and Cam, I, I share um, your concern, I guess would be my version of that word sometimes when I, hear value proposition used, uh, it's one of those terms that's become a catch-all for a lot of things. But yeah. the, way, the way I view it is the value proposition at the end of the day is really what you do for an organization that they appreciate, that they want, that they will pay for, right? So there are lots of things that one might provide, but if they don't give any added benefit to an organization, if they are not 
things that are desired, then it's no worries. Um, but you know, value proposition in and of itself is not gonna set you apart because you could have a value proposition and a competitor or three competitors could have the same value proposition. And essentially you're a commodity and no one likes to use the C word, but if everybody's got the same value prop, <laughs> yeah. why would I do business with one you know, organization versus another? So all of our work is based on differential value and a differential value proposition. So in fact, in the book, Winning with Customers, the centerpiece is the DVP or differential value proposition. And so what the differential value is about what you do uniquely, what you do differently, uh, what you do that others can't do, that results in, be careful, results in quantifiable value that can be proven and measured that will impact your customers or your clients' P&L. That's, that's, that's great. And so I, I think the, I'm picking up on something there, you know, as you mentioned this concept of the creative analytic. This, I think you're talking, Keith, about these aren't just empty promises that our customer service is really good or our product will last longer. But I think you're, you're really talking about quantifying those benefits and turning them into an outcome with maybe even a dollar sign attached to it. Is, is, is that right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. A, a dollar sign when we're talking about a business to business relationship, mm -hmm. because you, you can measure the actual transference of value, economic value in either incremental increased sales for your customer or client or incremental cost reductions uh, that your customer or client receives. That's the high watermark. That's the work that we do. So we believe if you have differential value, you should be able to prove the differential value. And the proof is more than just in the pudding. It's in the numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, for, for those listeners who maybe are not uh, dyed in the wool marketing geeks, I, I wonder if you could maybe talk about, you know, for a moment, the difference between, you know, so we, again, you know, terms, we have price, cost, and value, right? And so, you know, when you have an offering that is maybe the lowest price, it might not, you know, be actually the lowest, you know, total cost um, or, you know, the best value. So maybe, you know, what are some simple ways for the listeners to understand the difference between price, cost, and value when it comes to a value prop? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So the first thing that we do, and our, and our approach is a little bit different. We take the element of price and we throw it out of the mix altogether, right? We, 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 don't, we don't consider it. Here's why. We, we are kind of, you know, placed in this, this space that we call uh, customer value management, right? And in customer value, customer value management, there are really two components, right? The first component of customer value management is customer value creation. And the second part of customer value management is customer value capture. Mm -hmm. So our starting point and our analytics really are steeped in this area of customer value creation. We wanna help people understand how much value and how much additional value, differential value in dollars and cents they create for their customers. It shows up on their customers' P&L. Mm -hmm. Why do we start there? Because we believe that you can only capture your pro rata share of value that you've created for customers, if you know what the heck that pro rata share, what the, what the heck that share of value is that you've created. So, so it's kind of hard to have this value capture discussion unless you really have confidence that you've, kept, you've created rather more value for that customer. Now, having said all that, this is where the price comes in. Price is merely, right, is merely an outgrowth of capture, capture value. So if I've created a million dollars of differential value for a customer, my question then becomes, how do I get my pro rata share? Do I get 50% of that value? Do I get 25% of that value? Do I get 75%? Well, there are a lot of factors that you might consider. You might consider switching costs. You might consider you know, uh, the competitive landscape. You might consider the duration of the relationship. You might consider, you know, 
uh, how risky you want to be in, in losing potentially that customer because of trying to capture more value than they're willing to give up, right? Mm -hmm. But price is merely a reflection of the amount of value that you capture in that relationship. Excellent. And, and so as, as, you know, a company or a person wants to think about this, you know, so, so how do I put a finer point on our value proposition and especially the differential one? It sounds like this isn't something you just do within the four walls of your company, right? You know, you, you cause you're talking a lot about validating with, with your customers. Is, is that fair, Keith? It is. And in fact, the way we go about this is we actually start with things that our clients really know well, <laughs> what they do, right? And so we'll say, hey, okay, let's get together a team of people, you know, multifunctional group of people who have real deep knowledge about that relationship with a customer. So let's say it's one of your global key accounts and you sell, you know, your products or services to them, you know, on three continents, right, uh, around the world. And you sell, let's say, a chemical product. Right. And so you sell chemicals, but you don't just sell the product. Uh, you may have a broad portfolio of products. You may have the broadest portfolio of products in the industry. You also provide customer support. You provide technical service. Right. You provide, you know, uh, supply chain support. Right. Um, if you're selling your products to a customer who resells them, you might also provide marketing and brand support, which would help them sell more, sell faster to sell, um, you know, in environments where they might otherwise not get a sales uptick because of your brand. All of these would be potential contributors to your differential value proposition. So we get that team together and we say, okay, which of these, when you look at that relationship with that customer over the last year, do you think you did uniquely? that you did better, right? That you did in ways that either moved their, your customer's key performance indicators uh, in a north direction, positive, right? Because we wanna focus on what your customer cares about. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, what was the resulting financial impact of the customer's P&L during that period? Did they have incremental sales because of your brand? Right? Did they have uh, lower expenses or lower costs because of your technical service expertise, which came with that offer, meaning they didn't have to have that technical expertise in-house themselves? Yep. Right? So that's the way we go about doing this. So when we say you know, differential value and differential value proposition, it's qualitative, it's quantitative, and it's your best guess, we call it a hypothesis, right? of what you've done and how it's impacted your, your customer's business during that period of time and typically the most recent year. Now, that's the starting point. It's fine. Sometimes we have on hard hats and bulletproof vests when we're working <laughs> with our clients and getting technical services and sales and marketing and finance and supply chain all to come together and agree. And in many cases, it's the first time they come together and really stepped into the shoes of the customer and said, what do we really do that's a value? You know, as my 15-year-old daughter would say, like, for real, for real, dad. What I mean, for real, for real? What do we, <laughs> we do a lot of things, but what really yeah. is you know, differential, differentially valuable? Yeah. And then we get to the really, really fun part. Once the team feels good about that, we take it out to that customer and we have the customer react. We're not asking, you know, um, if they are right or wrong. We're simply saying, here's a perspective of your supplier. This is how they believe they've delivered differential value to you in this period. Here are the, here are the things they think they've done. And here's the relative contribution that each of these contributes. And we say, that's their perspective. What's your perspective? Yeah. And the now, insights flow, my friend. Yeah, no. And, and so this is, so, you know, so clearly this isn't something that, that, you know, you squeeze into an hour meeting. And so as, as you're describing this, Keith, it's, you know, internal to the company, it's cross-functional. Um, as you say, you know, supply chain, sales, marketing service, you know, technology could be any number of groups, and then also talking to customers. So a lot of our listeners they work in competitive intelligence, maybe a little bit marketing intelligence. And so 
you know, for them in a project like this, having a better understanding of the value prop is, is obviously really helpful. Um, but also having a deeper understanding of competitors value prop and this dif differential value prop can be enormously helpful as well. So any thoughts on, as we, as we are CI pros, how can we use some of what you're talking about here to, to do maybe a light, quick and dirty analysis like this on competitors or other organizations? So I'll, I'll say two things about that. First, you know, and, I, and I've led CI organizations in my past as a chief marketing officer, right? Um, I, I think that this work, and, and this is my bias, right? Mm -hmm. I think this work is too important and too valuable to be done in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. I think if a CI professional or CI organization really wants to get maximum value from this and provide maximum in, uh, impact, you got to do it in collaboration with the people across functions in the business. What we've seen that works really well is when the CI professional leads the effort and brings together those cross-functional uh, team members, as I mentioned earlier, in an organization. Why? Those people on the team, in many instances, have forgotten more about what delivers value to a customer than the CI professional will ever learn. Hmm. Because they are out there working in hand-to-hand -hand combat <laughs> with uh -huh. those people in the customer organization where the value gets delivered. And there is no substitute for that customer service manager, that supply chain leader, right? Who are out there working, delivering that value every day, that product manager. And so those are the people who have incredible information, incredible understanding of the nuances of how our offering compares to the competitive offerings. And they're dealing with that every single day. So that's what I'd say first. Secondly, Absolutely everything should be done relative to the next best alternative. All differential value in and of itself, you know, differential, differential as compared to what? Well, differential as compared to the customer's next best alternative. So there is no differential value assessment without a competitor in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and so, so you're saying here that, that, you know, this, this is really, really important. And that in order to understand your own value prop, you got to include the competition, probably, you know, maybe indirect as well as direct competitors, because you have to put that value prop in context to the market then. So CI plays a role, no matter how you're going to use this information. And, and you're saying, Keith, as part of this, you're, you're definitely going to have a deeper understanding of the value prop of your competitors. Is, is that fair? Absolutely. And the way to think about this, so let's take one of those attributes that I mentioned, right? So let's say it's uh, technical service, right? And so we've got a product that we sell to our customers. It's, it, it's used in, uh, in, in their application somewhere. And from time to time, they experiencing they experience challenges, right, with how to use it most effectively, how to actually get the job done, you know, using your product that they intend to get done. And so technical service is there. So let's just say that one of your areas of differential value is your technical service. So in the hypothesis, right, this developed by your, your team, you would say, hey, as a result of our expertise, application expertise, and how to take these chemical products, right, and make them sing, right, in your application to develop your product for your customer, we are better than anybody in the world. Okay, okay, well, what do you mean by better than anybody in the world? Yeah. Well, we're able to help you take that product and incorporate it into your final product to sell into your customer. And we're able to help you do that in one half the time that our competitors or anyone else in the industry, one half the time. Yes, it typically takes about six months. We can do it in three months. You can do it in three months. So what does that mean? Well, because we can help you incorporate that product into your application and launch in three months, you can start selling this product three months sooner than you would otherwise. Three months sooner. Hmm. How much do we sell per month? Well, we sell $20 million per month. $20 million a month times three months. So we actually deliver $60 million of differential value from this one attribute because of our technical expertise that results in your ability to sell more 
faster times the average sales per month, that's a measure of our differential value. Again, it's compared to the next best alternative. And so what we, we have an estimate. And maybe we said we thought we actually could help you get to market six months faster. But in that validation discussion, we learned that, oh, it may appear to be six months, but actually it's only three months because here are all the things that have to happen in our organization once we settle on the product, once it's validated, right, in our, in our process, right? Once we actually have the green light, we got all these other administrative things we've got to do. We have to get the product positioned in our supply chain, blah, 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 blah. So actually, while it appears to be six months, actually the, the sales clock only starts ticking three months with a three-month lead time. We would consider that to be customer insight. Like, we didn't know that. We've been sitting around thinking that we give these folks a six-month advantage, but we didn't understand enough about their operations and how they go to market. Right. And now we've learned, ah, it's only three months. Well, that's a big difference. So as we start thinking about, again, the amount of value that we create, mm -hmm. as we start thinking about how to price and capture it, we might have been pricing ourselves out of the ballpark if we were using a six-month lead time. Versus three months. That makes sense. No, it makes a ton of sense. And and so, you know, I, I think what you're talking about here, Keith, is is really powerful because it it you know moves the dialogue away from features and benefits. You know, hey, here's our our product does this, and and if you're sitting across the table from a a tough director of procurement, they're they're going to cut you to shreds on that. But it really helps shift the dialogue towards economic value of, of the outcome a product or service delivers. And so that, I mean, that has huge implications for messaging. And so how, how do we talk to, you know, the public pers prospective customers about this? Um, how do you start to translate some of those insights, you know, when you do this differential or DVP work, translate some of those insights into marketing messaging so that you can, you know, sell more, frankly? Right. Well, you know, if we stick with that previous example, right? Uh, and again, we're just limiting it to the, you know, the technical service aspect or, or element in the value prop, in the differential value proposition. And there are others, but if we just isolate that one, for example, we then might want to think about, hmm, if we're going to communicate our differential value to this customer or like customers, and we really want to key in on our technical service and the differential value associated with it. I don't think we want to talk about the fact that, you know, we've got great people, right? That they're, they're the most educated people in the industry. These are the kinds of things we would see in some marketing material, right? And we go, okay, so what? You know, our people, you know, have a combined total of 300, you know, uh, years of experience in the industry. Right. And, <laughs> and. Sounds good, right? but yeah, what's the same? Yeah. No, the, so what is because of the technical expertise that comes with our offering, we're able to help you get your products into the market on average three months sooner than our competitors, which results in you, your ability to drive incremental sales faster that go directly to your bottom line. That's the value. Whoa. Whoa. Now, if you want me to tell you the details of how that happens, I can peel back the onion for you and, and tell you and I can prove it to you. But what's going to get the attention? Selling more faster. Yep. Boom. Yep. Now, so one of the one of the things that a lot of you know, our listeners play a role in uh, are, are sales enablement tactics and processes, things like you know, sales battle cards, win-loss research. Um, now, this seems like a goldmine to pick up on if competitors are, are, you know, including messaging like this in the field, that that seems like a great area for CI to pick up on that because you're getting great insight and intelligence on what competitors think their DVP is. Uh, if you've seen organizations, you know, use that data 
in in a kind of an offense defense manner for, as they build battle cards and try to sharpen their competitive differentiation? Absolutely, and in fact, um, you know, we're we're students of this game, right? I can if you if you give me the communications or marketing material of a company, you send me to their website, whatever, and I I can read it and I can tell you in a matter of seconds, right, what they believe their differential value elements are, right? because of the communication that they're providing. If they, if, you, if they tell me they help you get to market faster, hmm, okay. If they tell you that they um, prevent stockouts, right? Yep. Hmm. Um, if stockouts, I'm going to supply chain, right? Then I'm like, okay, what is it they're doing in their supply chain that's different? What, what they're claiming, by the way. It doesn't mean it's true, right? Sure. Right? But it gives me a place to focus to say, hmm, I now can zero in on supply chain. I can zero in on product development. I can zero in on uh, account management. I can tell you where you need to go focus and scope it out from a CI perspective to see what they're doing that might be different based on their claim of differential value. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, the other thing I would say is, you know, I, I gave you the example before about um, the differential value being uh, a little bit less, right, than you anticipated, but it was differential. So, you know, it wasn't the six months of, of, of uh, additional sales, right, to sales lead time, right? It was only three months. Well, just use that same example and imagine that when we presented that to the customer to, to, to validate, we said, okay, we think we helped you to get to market six months faster. And they go, actually, no. There is no advantage here yeah. because we have a competitor that does it a little bit differently, but they get us, they help us get to market um, three months faster and you help us uh, three months. Wait, let me take this back. Neither of you actually helps us get to market faster than the other. Right. You're equal. And we go, well, well wait a minute. We, we thought we had a six month advantage. He says, well, what you don't know is that your competitor now has developed a service that allows us to get through validation and testing of our products internally in our manufacturing process in two weeks. It takes you guys two and a half months hmm. and it takes them two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. Great nugget. Yeah. Right. So while you had an advantage in the past, things have changed. And we don't know what they're doing over there. We don't know what secret sauce your competitor has over there, but they have now re-engineered and innovated that process to actually validate our products for use in our manufacturing facilities. And they've reduced it down to two weeks. Now that's where the CI comes in. That's where the competitive intelligence comes in. Like, what the heck are they doing? And we were focused maybe just on our product, on the quality of our product, right? right. The, you know, the breadth of our product line. That's what we're standing on, but we're being outmaneuvered because our competitor looked at another part of that process, not just making the product, but actually having it validated for use in our customers' facilities. Love it. So, so, so Keith, I was uh, um, doing a webinar yesterday and one of the panelists had this fantastic phrase, which I'm either going to get a t-shirt or a tattoo, depending uh, on what my wife thinks. It's competitor aware customer obsessed. And um, it's, I mean, I think, you know, you'd agree it's a, it's a really great mantra for CI professionals so that again, we don't just, just, you know, pay attention to our competitors. Um, I'd like your thoughts, you know, one trend that we've seen in, in a lot of fields and CI is no different is that we got a lot of data out there and it's, as you know, our listeners know, there's an enormous opportunity in that data to identify, you know, weak signals, trends, et cetera. But, you know, the anecdote you just shared, that might not be something that you pick up from web crawling. That's something you're only going to get from doing that primary research, from taking the time to speak to, uh, you know, maybe even multiple people at a customer. So what are your thoughts on the value of doing that primary research versus just, some pretty amazing, you know, Google, uh, you know, Google searches on unearthing these kinds of insights, both about your value prop, but also your competitors. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on something really, really important, and I think really important for the CI community. Uh, I'll say three things. Uh, one, 
every bit of analysis or assessment should have a strategic intent in mind. We don't, do, we don't go search for information, crunch data just for the sake of it. What is the strategic question that we're helping the business to answer? Because often we find that there's a lot of information and a lot of data, um, but it is not necessarily focused on a strategic question, right? That's really important for the business. So if you don't start there, I think there's just a lot of waste in the system. Uh, secondly, um, there are some questions you can answer by doing web crawling and doing data analysis apart from a customer. But that in a vacuum, I, I, I struggle sometimes to understand the real value. Yeah. I don't know how you really understand your differential value, how you understand the competitor apart from a relationship with a customer where you're sharing information bi-directionally all the time. You can't automate your way out of that. You can't automate your way out of a relationship with the customer. And so what we find with many of our clients, it is so refreshing. They go, this has been missing from the mix. And by the way, the customers appreciate it. Yeah. The customers say things like, I am so glad we actually carved out this time to have a discussion about our partnership and about our business and what's mutually valuable for both of us, how assessing what's really working and not and where we go together. You can't do that uh, with a web call. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. And, and I'd be curious for your thoughts, Keith, you know, um, if you know, you take a process like, like voice of the customer, which, you know, hopefully you can surface some of these things, but, but um, you know, it, it's a kind of a cliche in voice of the customer circles that, that, you know, sales wants to own that relationship that, that they'll say, oh, you know, I'll do the voice of the customer, um, perhaps with the best intentions, but, but, you, but you need different voices to do that research, whether it's a third party, whether it's marketing, et cetera. So, so a, as we think about, you know, the DVP and other types of, of customer intimacy and, and discussions, CI wants to be involved, marketing intelligence, if that's a different group, you know, sales, marketing strategy. Um, how do you approach the customer without, you know, having 10 different people call them at once? Any thoughts on making that a smooth, coordinated process? Well, first of all, we agree it needs to be um, multifunctional, multidisciplinary. Uh, and we also believe that the tip of the spear is the, uh, if you if you have, uh, an account management kind of structure, right? And we know that in some cases that, that doesn't exist, but if you have an account strategy or account management structure and you've got a person who leads that relationship, that person should lead the charge, right? And, and I tell you, sometimes that's a little bit of a rug and I've been on all, si all sides of this issue, but there is nothing more important than understanding, leveraging and improving the relationship with the customer. Yeah. So the relationship owner has to be that person that really engages to make this work. Now, that person doesn't have to be and usually isn't a subject matter expert in a methodology or tool set or data and doesn't need to be. So it requires the team to come together and understand how to work collaboratively as a team to accomplish this. And there's a role for everyone on the team. Where we've seen it not work very well is when CI or marketing wants to take control and go out to the customer and lead the effort apart from the relationship. You don't get the kind of insights that you get when you've got the relationship owner there and managing it or when the relationship owner for that matter has made the request for the meeting, right? Yeah. 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 The other thing that's important is that we believe for each one of these attributes, so like technical service, you have to understand who the beneficiary of value is within the customer organization for that attribute. So that example that I used earlier, the end result, the place where we prove value, we can prove value and quantify it, is in selling more faster, right? Well, in a traditional situation, one might think that, oh, 
technical support or technical service. They work with the manufacturing plant. So our beneficiary of value is the VP of manufacturing, right? right. Eh, eh. Nope. That value flows all the way through to the sales organization. So the true beneficiary of value of your technical service may very well be the sales leader or the general manager of the business who gets the benefit of selling three months of sales at $20 million a month earlier. Right. So sometimes the CI professionals and the marketers have to understand that we have to talk to the right people. And some of these people, when we talk about these beneficiaries of value, like I just mentioned, they're not going to complete a survey. You can send them a survey until the cows come home. They're not completing the survey. I mean, I was a C-suite executive four times, never completed a survey, will not complete a survey. <laughs> you know, I was like, OK, next, delete. Right. Uh -huh. So you have to have a relationship. And they'll sit down and talk to you about their business and how you're helping them to achieve their strategic goals and hit their financial targets and earn their bonus, right? They'll, yep. they'll talk to you if you can help them with that. But you're going to send them a survey out of context? It's your survey. No, that's just, that's real talk for our community. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, yeah. We're, using, we're using tools that have no chance of being successful. And we're yeah. trying to reach people in ways that, they're absolutely not going to respond to. It's just not going to happen. Right. And and so I, I love what you're talking about here, Keith, because it's a great reminder that, you know, whatever's on your business card, you really need to think like a marketer, right? And and think about it's, you know, you're not marketing yourself, right? You're marketing to a stakeholder. And and, and as you just pointed out so well, if you're a C-suite exec, um, you're not going to want to fill out a survey like that, you know, you know, EHS manager might, right? And so it, it's meeting the, you know, internal or external customer where they are, which, which, which is, which is a great reminder, right? It's, it's just because uh, um, you think a certain way doesn't mean the other person will. Now, something I, I'd love your thoughts on this, this, you know, whole concept of the value prop and especially the, the differential value prop. And you've talked about it in the context of, an offering, you know, a customer offering, you know, put it in competitive context and talk to talk about how we can, you know, profitably, um, you know, profitably deliver it. I guess I'd love your thoughts here on that concept of the DVP. Can we apply that to like a department or a function? So I'm thinking here, you know, talking to stakeholders, finding out what they value, you know, what their pain points are. Is there an opportunity for CI professionals to, to take that same way of thinking towards the CI function itself? Uh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, we got so many requests from um, organizations or groups, right, or functions where they say, you know, we can't really quantify the value in dollars and cents. Is there another way? So we created uh, another offering um, that we call the Customer Value Accelerator Scan, right? Um, and there we use only qualitative responses, but it is something that a CI organization could launch uh, in, the organ in, this, in this organization, right, in the company and get a response. Now, we use the same approach. We start by helping them to develop what they think they're doing to serve their internal customer, right? This differential. And where, we, and where they believe the impact shows up for that internal customer based on their KPIs, right? And so bringing the CI organization together, really being very clear about that. Again, we bring in the hard hats and the bulletproof vest there as well. <laughs> and to yeah. get really clear, what do you really do? this of value? And then what do you really do this differentially value? And then we have those discussions with their internal stakeholders, right? And get their response. Once again, insights all over the place, right? Like, yeah, whoa, have no idea that this is the way you really think about solving the problem. We had no idea of what you thought about our service and what worked and what didn't. And by the way, the thing that we thought was the most exciting and the most valuable you view as not valuable at all. Wow. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All of this falls into this, this whole space that we call being outside in yeah. versus inside out in our thinking. In fact, in our book, Winning with Customers, we have a whole section on that. 
because we're at the behavioral level now, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, okay, right. What is it? Well, m- most people show up to say, um, hey, here's what I think. Yep. Here's what I think. And we go, okay. And I mean, is this like a relationship here? I mean, so I mean, maybe, maybe you say, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's a perspective that I have. And I'd like to run it by you to see if you have the same perspective. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to really think through your perspective and have it well formulated and help me understand why you think you, why you think this way and what impact it could have on me and giving me the space to respond and react with my perspective. Mm-hmm. And there's a not so subtle distinction. Yeah, there is. But we find that many people don't leave the space, right? And don't make it easy for the customer, whether it's external or internal, right? To give meaningful feedback that's actionable. I, and I love that because because you're picking up on your point from a moment ago, Keith. It is so easy just to email that survey out, right? And right. As, as you just you know, said so well a moment ago, it's really all about creating a space for for actual dialogue, and that's when you're going to get to the deep insights that that will you know give you you know gold. You know, Frank, like like you talked about, you know, the 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 kind of the speed to market issue where you know you you might find that some of your assumptions were bad. Um, so, so you know, with with our time left, we got about uh, two or three minutes here. I I'd like you to put your hat on as being a, a senior executive and and thinking, you know, you have folks whose job it is to provide you with information to make better decisions. And you know, for our audience, they're really looking at you know two things: helping grow the organization and helping um, you know avoid strategic risks. What do you need as a senior executive and what do you want in terms of style of communication, frequency, um, you know, flavor, flavor of the insight, storytelling, you know, what, what do you want to be put in front of you so that you can be successful in your job and make the best business decision? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, you know, and, and uh, we think a lot about that a lot at Luminous, and, and part of the reason is most of our team uh, came from senior executive roles. <laughs> oh, right? right. So, uh, and, I, and I'll say this is a little tongue in cheek. We don't put this in our advertising, but we believe that one of the things that our clients really like about us is that we sit in the seats next to our clients. We don't sit across the table from them. Hmm. Yeah. So just get that picture, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? What senior executives want are people who can sit next to them yep. as a partner, a partner in role to help them solve a strategic growth problem. And someone who can bring insight that's actionable or intelligence that's actionable so they can make more confident business decisions. Yeah. Boom, right? Yep. So yep. when you think about that and you're communicating, ask the question, what would a senior executive want to know? How might she or he want to receive it? And what's the context? Well, the context is always about that strategic problem I'm trying to solve. If it's not related to that strategic problem, A, I probably don't want to hear about it. <laughs> and if it's meaningful to help me solve the strategic problem, but you don't take the time to connect the dots to create the context of what's top of mind for me, I'm going to miss it. Yep. And sometimes senior executives, you know, having been one of them, get a bad rap because they say, well, you need to make everything like, you know, you need to communicate like a third grader to those folks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know what? You do. You do. I would suggest you communicate like a third grade to everyone in business, but that's a whole nother story. Um, why? Because I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have time to cipher through data and information that requires a PhD, yeah. right? So the people who are developing that data, who's, who are crunching those numbers, who are, who are helping to explain the graphical representation, what I would say is if those people are not well-skilled at making it 
third grader proof, have them pass it off to someone in the organization who's good at making it third grader proof and let them communicate to the executives. And again, everyone has a role to play, but the thing that I hated most, and I know it's a strong word, was to have CI organization or the marketing organization or insights organization show up to my office to give me some insights that's gonna help me make a better decision. And we were all wrapped around the axle on the data yeah. and the representation of the data. And yeah, I felt like it was a waste of my time. Don't bring me all the data. Bring me what's relevant, right? To help me solve the problem and to understand it. If I've got to pull out a calculator, right? If I've got to, <laughs> if I've got to manage through a spreadsheet to get the insight, you know, you haven't presented it in a way that's effective. Yeah, and that's I, I love that that message because it's it's not a as I think as you're couching it, you know, here, Keith, it's not at all a you know, oh, I'm busier than you are, I'm more important. It's it's just recognizing that, you know, as a senior exec, you're, you're going to be inundated with, you know, number one, data, number two, demands on your time, and number three, with high stakes decisions. And, you know, part of, part of the burden of being a senior exec is that you have a lot of people there who depend on you and, and are there to support you. And so you need to have that trust that you know, by the time someone is in front of you with that recommendation, that number one, as you say, they've connected the dots, and, and number two, that that they don't need to give you the bibliography first, right? They need to say, you know, here here's what I think you need to worry about, and here are some of the potential strategic implications. So it really is, um, it really is about, uh, I think, kind of as you said, keeping it third grade simple. Um, any. Any thoughts on as companies are trying to elevate the, the the role and capabilities of insights and competitive intelligence about what they can do to be a true ally and partner to the CMO or the head of strategy? Yeah, I think, you know, just as we talk about, you know, having a relationship with the customer, having a, uh, a relationship that's based on mutual value understanding the priorities, what really delivers value versus what doesn't, and coming to a common understanding of how to do that together, those same principles apply internally, right? If you have relationships with the senior executives, if you have relationships with the CMO, if you have relationships with those people, you know, apart from, you know, a project that you're working on, right? I think it enables you to do more together that's more valuable. And sometimes I think those relationships aren't in place. I mean, we're, we're all people, right? But when you have a relationship, it is much easier to get to the business component and to have trust, right, of what's coming, what's being recommended. Um, but if you don't have the relationship, it's just difficult. Yeah. And, and I know that probably is not going to, you know, you know, there's probably not going to be flashes here from lightning or going to hear a roaring from thunder with that response, right? But, no, no, no. but it, I think it's that simple. And I think sometimes we've taken the relationship out. I will say, and this is not a knock against technology, but I will say that technology in some ways, our technology tools, limits our ability to have the types of relationships that are the most effective. Yeah. Now, I think people can build those relationships atop that technology, but I think some people stop short. They take care of the transactional element with the technology, they send it over the transom, and then they think they're done. No, no, because I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. We haven't had a dialogue about this. And so what you just sent to me, this deliverable, doesn't have context for me, right? And so... I think, and, and by the way, as organizations have started thinking about, you know, work from home and getting people back to the office or not, the thing that you see consistently, and what I've seen in all the research over and over again over the last three or four months, what do people miss most? Leaders miss most. They miss the collaboration. Yep. They miss the in-person exchange. I would argue they miss the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are just portions of that that you can't automate. 
and you can't digitize. Yep. And I know there are people who would want to take me to task on that, but look at the research. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a great, you know, you say there's no thunderclaps going on, but I would, you know, respectfully disagree, Keith, that it, it's, you know, we have this kind of paradox here where we have enormously powerful technology all around us. You know, our iPhones can do pretty much, you know, things that, that we would have thought impossible 20 years ago. Um, and, and despite that, there still is a truly unique value to, to personal interaction, whether, whether it's virtual or, or person to person, you know, obviously there's some wrinkles there, but it's, it's a good reminder that, you know, web crawling and surveys and emails, that they're tools, but they still need to be complemented by relationships and partnerships and interactions that, that that's really going to, um, you know, turn an output into an outcome that everyone can, can get behind. So I think that's, uh, don't undersell it, Keith. That's a really powerful point. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And even the conversations that we have in validating our clients' differential value proposition when we're meeting with their customers. By the way, we bring our clients along with to listen in and capture information. So we don't go to do things in a vacuum and then we send your report, we do send your report, but we actually bring our people along, our clients' teams along to listen in. There is nothing like hearing it directly. I'm telling you, that's so powerful. And we actually ask that at least one executive from our client organization sits in, changes their world, yeah. changes their world. And our CI you know, and marketing professionals are so happy, right, that we've done that because it, yeah. it advances their efforts by 20 years sometimes, right? Oh, I bet. We I finally bet. Got, we got, we got the CEO or senior vice president, right, or chief marketing officer to sit in for two hours and listen to this dialogue with the customer. And it completely changes their view. Yeah. Well, to our listeners, so whether you're in MI, CI, strategy, frankly, doesn't matter. I think, uh, you know, Keith's advice is, is, is really powerful. Talk to your account manager, coordinate with them, but, you know, get in front of your customers, you know, listen to the great information that they're sharing. Don't just read the win-loss reports of the survey responses. Um, Keith Begies, can't thank you enough for, for joining us here today. Um, make sure folks to, to visit Keith and Luminous Strategy uh, at www.luminousstrategy.com to learn more about the great work that they do. Keith, can't thank you enough for joining us today. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you for having me. Continue success, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. And for more best practices, resources, and information on strategy, CI, and leadership, check out skip.org.